episode 167 of the Pirate the Pilot podcast takes off now. Pilot the Pilot is brought to you by the Finer Points. These guys are constantly adding content to the Ground School app. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. Hello everyone, my name is Bruno. I'm a pilot, private pilot with an instrument rating based in New York. And uh, I share my my aviation stories and adventures through uh, Instagram and YouTube. Avi Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's podcast is with Bruno. You can find him on Instagram at fly underscore with underscore Bruno. I was brought to his account, as you'll find out later, when he posted a video at how he was locked in his airplane at an airport and he couldn't get out. He had to make a radio call for help. Uh, It was hilarious. And I knew then that I wanted to get him on and have him share his story. Uh, Bruno is an awesome guy. It was a lot of fun to talk to him and have him on this podcast and share what he has to say about flying. So I look forward to you all listening to this. Let me know if you like it. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. And we are one week away. That's right one week from when you're listening to this on Tuesday when it's released from our big product release. Uh, I am more than excited. Christine and I are pumped for this. Uh, spread the word. Let us know. Make sure you are following Pilot the Pilot next Tuesday. So two Tuesdays from now on 5-4, May 4th. That's right. May the 4th be with you. We have a big announcement. So make sure you follow us. We're going to post it there. If you know already, don't tell anyone. But spread the hype. Aviation. I don't want to take up much more of your time. So without any further ado, Here's Fly with Bruno. Bruno, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin. How are you, man? Flattered to be here and honored by the invitation. Thank Good, you. Good, man. I'm excited to have you on. Excited to share your story. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I Believe it or not, the first time I actually ever saw your account, it wasn't it was actually recently. It was when I believe you were locked in your airplane and someone had to come help you. I was watching that. I was just dying laughing because I could just imagine that happening to me and me not wanting to make that radio call to like ask for help and be like, I'll figure this out on my own. <laughs> Listen, I, I think you're, you're probably uh, one in many that actually got to my account or actually knew about me through that episode. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, the reason I share that is because uh, I, I know for, for some, uh, it was like, oh, my God, like, how did you embarrass yourself like that? Or how could you share something like that? But my goal was really to share an experience that could be helpful for other pilots. And believe it or not, I had a lot of people uh, uh, reach out to me, either uh, privately or even publicly uh, through comments saying that they had been through something similar, you know, in similar planes and in other planes. Uh, I mean, it happens. And I happen to be one <laughs> pilot that actually shared the story. Um, and, uh, and there you go. That's, uh, I, <laughs> you got a lot of traction apparently. Yeah, it did. Uh, before we get like into your story and everything, we got to talk about it now. So what did happen? How did you get locked in your airplane? <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. The, uh, Grumman, uh, the Grumman Cheetah, uh, and actually the Grumman family, uh, um, AA5s, uh, they have a canopy, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's a, it's a neat feature about the plane and, uh, you lock after you land and you lock, you close the canopy from the outside, you, you can lock it just like you lock your car or you lock your, you know, anything else. And, uh, uh, my lock, my key lock was malfunctioning and, um, apparently for, for a month or so. So every time I would get to the airport, I would fumble with it, put the key there, turn it to the lock position, unlock position, look inside the latch, see if I could see it, what was going wrong, but I couldn't. And I think the last time or that day, um, I accidentally 
left it in the locked position on the outside, took the key out, got out, got in the plane and closed the canopy. And later did I know that in doing so, I had locked myself in because the latch had engaged. Uh, I flew for two hours that day. Oh my God. I, I even, yeah. And, uh, and, and then when I came back, it was already night. It was, it was a Sunday. It was winter. So it was a really cold night in Long Island. And I locked, uh, I, I parked by the fuel pump. And as soon as I turned the engine off and, and tr- tried to get out, the latch was, uh, was stuck. So, um, um, I, I, I couldn't open it. And at first it was like, oh, I, I knew this was, the, the lock was malfunctioning. Maybe now it, it, it got stuck, you know, for good. It's showing its age or something like that. Uh, little did I know that it was just doing what it's supposed to do, you know, and, and, and the fault was mine. So, Long story short, I tried to open it. There was no way to open it from the inside. Uh, at least I didn't know of one. And uh, I had to make a radio call uh, because I had seen a guy who had just pulled off the uh, the fuel pump right before I arrived. So I thought, oh, maybe that guy's still parking his plane. He has his radio on or something. So I keyed the mic and, and expecting him to be there and reply. But uh, a guy who was actually flying nearby responded. Uh, and I was like, I'm not going to ask this guy to, to land and help me, but he actually offered help. And so he landed, came to my help and, and, and I passed the keys uh, to him through the, the baggage compartment and, and they opened and freed me from my, from my cockpit. So you could have escaped through your baggage compartment if you had to, like all being said and done. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, there was a small risk of a tail strike if I did so, because the groomer is kind of very sensitive, although then uh, I later learned uh, from pilots that, uh, um, uh, that that's perfectly possible. You, you, you wouldn't, you know, the, the tail wouldn't tilt down. But <laughs> and I think this is where it gets funny. There is uh, an override, uh, override safety tab inside the cockpit. You simply have to push it and, and pull the uh, and pull the lever. And I would have like freed myself in a, in a second. It was there. It was there the whole time. I just didn't know because, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the the POH actually ex- uh, mentions uh, a placard that should have been there. Uh, but in my plane, it wasn't. But it's not like it ex- really explains how the system works and how do you, you know, you, you get out. So, um, but uh, I mean, it was my fault for not really, you know, knowing about that, uh, that safety feature on the plane. I learned the hard way. Now I know. And uh, I'll I hopefully will never get locked my locked in again. Nothing like some embarrassment to make you uh, kind of feel humble and, uh, and and find something out, right? Yes, yes, that's absolutely. funny. Well, good thing it didn't happen in like an emergency situation where you had to break open the canopy or you just were in an emergency or the plane was on fire or anything like that. So uh, you had time to evaluate your options, and eventually you you had someone on the radio, which is actually very lucky, and they could just help you out. So I'm glad it ended out ended the way it did. Yeah, I, I honestly, I couldn't have uh, asked for a better uh, outcome and situation to be in that situation. Um, so I agree with you. Like, uh, you know, it was a, it was an opportunity to learn a lesson without without any prejudice to myself, the plane, and and then. Well, cool. Well, I mean, it sucks to happen, but I'm glad the content <laughs> was there for you. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah uh, I guess there was a silver lining there. Uh, got some more <laughs> followers for it, which is always nice. I mean, embarrassing, <laughs> but always nice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, uh, let's get into your story a little bit now that we got that out of the way. Um, talk about why you wanted to become a pilot. What was your original inspiration? Were you from a family of pilots? Uh, you were just the oddball and looked up to the sky, saw planes that I want to fly. Kind of talk a little bit and dive into why you wanted to be a pilot. Yeah, so it's more, it's, it's more of the latter. I, um, I like 
I started, you know, falling in love with aviation when I was five years old. And I am really originally from Brazil. Uh, my hometown is Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's where I grew up and, uh, you know, started my career, not in aviation, but in, uh, in advertising. And uh, in, uh, it wasn't until 2015 that I, uh, I came to the U.S. I moved to the U.S. and I was able to then pursue my, my aviation dream. So the, 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 long, the short version of the story is I always loved planes, uh, you know, throughout my childhood, my teenagehood. And even though I was doing something completely different uh, as a career, uh, career I, I always, you know, educated myself, watched videos, read books, and I was really, really into aviation. And uh, when I'm into something, I really want to learn and get myself educated in, in every possible way. So uh, like flying and playing or, or, or joining a flight school in Brazil wasn't really a reality for me for financial reasons for uh, also like, uh, you know, it really just didn't fit with my my day to day life and, and how crazy it was with advertising there. And when I had the opportunity to move to Brazil, I met um, a pilot who was actually married to one of my wife's friends. Uh, his name is Neil Hill. And uh, he, uh, he, he's, a, he's been a pilot for like 20, 20 something years. And uh, one day he invited me to go flying. And uh, it was the first time I, I, I was in a general aviation plane and I sat on the right seat and we were flying somewhere to get like breakfast. And he, he let me, I mean, he knew about my, my, my passion for aviation and he, he let me, you know, grab the controls for like, uh, uh, some time. And that's where, I, that's when I got hooked. And, and he told me, listen, if you want to be a pilot, if you always had that dream, uh, it, it's not, it's not impossible. You know, you just have to go for it. And I guess that, uh, actually opened my mind for it. And, uh, you know, just a year later, uh, after, you know, searching for flight schools, talking to people, like informing myself on, on the process, I, I was able to start my, my training. So um, I started, uh, I started, I think, in January uh, 2019, got my private license five years, uh, uh, five months later. Then I spent the, the, four, uh, the next uh, six months just flying myself and, you know, renting planes and uh, going places, uh, logging hours and doing all of that. And then I started my instrument training, which I ended in June last year. Um, then I immediately jumped to commercial, but right after I started and I had taken my first three or four lessons, I, uh, I decided that uh, I, I was really committed to aviation for life, for life at that point. And uh, I wanted to stay proficient. I wanted to stay, you know, uh, be a good pilot. And for me, that translated into flying often. And I was committed to flying at least like 100 hours a year at, at the very least. And at that point, it made sense for me to actually have my own plane versus rent, stay, you know, renting and, and subject to schedules and, and, and all of those uh, limitations. So the moment I got my plane, I, I started taking things slow as far as the commercial license go. I knew I had a lot of hours to log. I had cross countries to fly. I had milestones to achieve. And I was like, you know, I'm going to spend time uh, with my plane knowing the plane, get, getting uh, used to the plane, how it flies, get proficient with it, in it. And then later on, I would then, you know, uh, um, get back to uh, uh, commercial training, which I eventually uh, will will finish, but I, I'm not in the rush to do it. So that's my my, my aviation story. Yeah. A lot to unpack there. Uh, yeah. So you got your, your kind of intro to GA while you were in Brazil, right? Uh, no, actually here. In okay, Dakar. I was here. Okay, I must. I think I must have got confused on the story there for a second. So here's where you took your first GA flight. Exactly. Okay, perfect. Because I was going to ask. I mean, this I guess I'll ask anyways because you might know. But 
Uh, I've talked to a lot of people uh, from Venezuela, from a lot of different countries, uh, from Europe, from the islands, from Canada, Mexico, like all these different places. But I haven't talked to anyone really from Brazil about what it even looks like becoming a pilot there. Are you very, do you have knowledge to the, the process? Is it a process? Uh, can you just go rent GA aircraft? Can you just go up on your own and go fly? I I, uh, I believe it's not that different from, from here in the U.S. The, uh, I think the difference for me was that for me personally, it wasn't a reality to go after that, you know, with the life I had and, and the, the, the routine that I had. So uh, I really never got into uh, uh, like researching like what it would take, how much it would cost. But I just had a, a general idea of, uh, uh, you know, like the, the what, what the whole package would would you know, uh, what the whole, whole package would involve for me. And I knew uh, I, it was something that I was, uh, was not achievable for me at the moment. But I will tell you, like general aviation in Brazil, as far as I know, and now uh, having been able to, you know, meet and talk to other pilots uh, from Brazil, I know that general aviation that is really strong. Uh, uh, it's all across the, you know, the country. And, and you can really, you know, just join flight school. You have airports, you know, Everywhere uh, you join a flight school, you get on a plane with the CFI, you go fly, you get your license and, and even, you know, uh, buy your own plane and, and, and go do your stuff. So uh, it's pretty similar, actually. That's awesome. And then for you in the States, you came, you, you were here and you're flying and you had that flight. Where was that flight when you took that first flight? We took off from his home airport, which is Montgomery, uh, Orange County in New York. Uh, so it's called uh, Mike Gold Juliet. And we flew down to Blairstown for brunch. Oh, nice. And it's always nice flying a brunch, that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it was my first $100 burger. I didn't know it was called this at the time, but uh, <laughs> it was. So we flew, you know, uh, uh, just a round trip there, a quick round trip. But it was super, super fun, you know. And uh, um, that, that's the moment where I, where I was like, oh, man, I want to do this. You know, somehow I want to I want to learn how to fly a plane and go from there. And um, that's, yeah, that's that, that, that was a very decisive moment for me when, you know, I flipped the switch and I was like, I'm going for this. What was, was your wife afraid that this was going to happen? Like she probably knew you had this love of aviation deep down. And, and when you're going to yes. go take this flight in the back of her mind, she was probably like, there's a chance this guy is going to want to go fly for a living and go buy yeah. an airplane after this. Or was she just like, oh yeah, Bruno's going to go fly. I'll be fine. Yeah, it was, I think it was more of the latter. First, she, she was afraid of flying and she still is afraid of flying. So that's, that's something that I, uh, I'm trying to, you know, get herself, get, get her like, you know, more comfortable with. But uh, I think that uh, always in my mind, uh, to be honest, uh, even though when I decided to start uh, in junior aviation and, and, and working on my private license, I, I never thought of making this my new living, you know, because uh, the moment uh, I mean, I, I have a, a 18 year, 19 year career in, in advertising and uh, somehow to me, uh, it didn't really feel right or the right things to give up that, you know, that history and start over, you know, from 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 scratch in, in aviation, especially knowing, uh, unfortunately, how things in aviation are and the need to get to, you know, 1500 hours and how long that takes and how money, how much money you need to spend on that, uh, which is, you know, uh, that's how, that's how the way it is. And, and just for me. It didn't make sense to switch career. So going for a lot, making uh, aviation my living was never the plan, but I did want to commit to it and have it be a lifestyle for me more than living a lifestyle. 
So I wanted to, you know, be able to fly myself anywhere on a weekend, making that my 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 transportation to uh, a weekend getaways, like you know, holidays and stuff like that. And that's finally three years later. After this is finally, you know, starting to happen with me, you know, flying my wife to, you know, to a weekend somewhere or flying myself to Florida, like last week to go to San and fun. So, um, it's like, it's really, uh, uh, that was my goal and I'm, I'm, I'm slowly, uh, but confidently uh, getting there. Um, so three years now, uh, you say that wasn't, your plan isn't really to fly. I want to say professionally, cause you can still be a professional pilot, but to fly for a living to make money. Do you think there's any way as you kind of continue this process, uh, as you as you get more hours, get more experience, where it's like, wait, maybe I can do this? Do you ever foresee yourself maybe going to an airline eventually? Do you think that could change? Well, it, I'm always open to it. To be honest, uh, I like you, you can you never know what the future holds, really. And the fact uh, is that after you get your commercial license, which, like I said, I, I'm, I'm aiming towards, uh, a lot of doors open. Right. And even if you're not talking about airline, uh, an airline job, there are still so many things you could do, like ferrying planes, uh, you know, flying people like flying charter um, and, and like getting more ratings and, and getting, you know, a jet, um, a jet uh, um, license and all that. Well, jets not a license, but just, you know, getting the, the ratings and whatnot. Um, I think that that's, you know, it's still all on the table. And um, I, I, um, I, I leave myself open to that for sure. Uh, there are a lot of steps for me to get there still, but um, I, I definitely uh, remain open for that, for sure. What was the hardest part about jumping into this kind of lifestyle? Uh, I mean, a lot of people have this kind of dream of wanting to do this. I mean, aviation is kind of this grand idea that a lot of kids have when they're younger and they just keep putting it off. And then eventually they dive in. What was one thing that was either holding you back or maybe the hardest part to make it happen? Because it's really hard to make that jump of actually doing it. Yeah, I got to say that um, uh, the, probably the hardest thing I'll say um, is it's, it's the training itself. You know, I, uh, I think that getting started and, 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 and let me just say that for me, there was an extra step that there isn't for many other pilots because being uh, not being a U.S. citizen uh, meant that uh, I had to go through a TSA background check before being authorized to start having flight lessons. And that took like at least six months because there's always a backlog and you know you gotta go get fingerprinted and, and, and all of that stuff. So that's an extra step for you here in the US if you wanna if you wanna uh, um, you know start having flight lessons or joining a flight school. So because the FAA has to actually authorize that flight school to teach you how to fly. That's how it works. Um, so that, that that was an extra step. And then um, but but the training itself, um, I mean I didn't know anything about about uh, flying before I actually started researching. So, you know, going to a flight school, talking to people, understanding what training takes, where to start and what, what it involves, the uh, the, the, the money uh, uh, that uh, it involves. I think there's a lot of planning there that needs to happen. But then once you get to training, I found myself uh, uh, stuck in, in some of the uh, some of the, the 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 process along the way, just because you know there's a lot you need to learn and there's a lot that you need to put into practice very quickly, and and uh, you know my CFI and I'm thankful for that was a really really uh, um, a good CFI that was really hard on me, 
Uh, and, uh, and, you know, sometimes you find yourself in, in, in a place where you're trying to get something done or you're trying to nail, uh, a crosswind landing or a maneuver or, you know, in instrument training, uh, you know, there's so much going on. And th- 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 there's a lot of times where, where it's easy to think, oh man, this is not for me. You know, this is too hard. I came this far, but I can't get through this part or, or something. But, uh, I think as long as your passion like speaks louder than any of that, like it did to me. You just keep pushing. You get through things, and uh, and you know things things become. You're able to make things a reality. So um, I think that's. Uh, I'll say that the hard part was actually being able to get to the finish line. But uh, if you have enough passion and and enough commitment to it, um, there's nothing that can stop you. Did you have any days where you felt like giving up, where you felt like it was too much? Um, yes, yes, there was. Um, um, I remember one day. And trying to, and this was my private pilot training. Uh, I was trying to, you know, nail like crosswind landings and I simply couldn't, you know, and, and not that, not that I couldn't, I was like landing the plane, but not in a way that was satisfying my CFI. And, you know, uh, he had really high standards and, uh, uh, and again, I'm, I'm really thankful for that. But, uh, there was this one day where I, you know, I flew back from, from, I was doing practice, uh, uh you know, landings at, at Bridgeport and then flew back to Farmingdale where, where, um, my flight school was based at. And I remember that like 20, 25 minute flight back, I was like thinking to myself, oh man, this is not, this is uh, like, I, I, I can find a way to do this right. Uh, maybe this is not for me and whatever. And I drove back home, you know, really, uh, dissatisfied with the whole thing. And, you know, I was thinking like, oh man, I was already spent all this money and I flew all these hours and, and I still can't do it. So I don't know, maybe, maybe should I give up? And, but then, you know, it took one night of sleep to, and waking up the next day. And I was like, you know what, uh, I'm going to do this, you know, not, nothing will stop me. And, I think the next lesson, you know, I, I took, I was, you know, re- doing really well, flying solo across countries and, and whatnot. And that, that stayed in the past. But um, uh, yeah, I had difficult moments during training. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for everyone at different parts too. That's what's crazy. It's like you might have difficulty across when landings and then someone listening is like, well, I've never struggled across when landings, but I can't understand the systems. You know, it's like, well, maybe you didn't struggle. It's just, it's so crazy how... Uh, you can feel like you are such an outsider and feel like you're the only one struggling through this because maybe in your immediate group, no one else is struggling with that subject as much as you are. But in all reality, there's someone out there that's really struggling with something that may seem so easy to everyone else. But it, it, just because you're struggling with it and just because other people might think it's easy doesn't mean that what you're going through isn't actually hard. So it's definitely important to realize that you're not the first one to struggle with that and it's possible to overcome it. Because we have everyone you look up to on Instagram has had to overcome some kind of training event or some kind of difficulty in their training in their path to get there where they are today so it's not as as pretty as it looks on instagram i mean some people lock themselves in airplanes you know it's like it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) exactly and and i I gotta say i i couldn't agree more with you and there's one other thing that you know depending on where where you have your training um yeah is uh you perhaps get exposed to things that other pilots don't for instance uh if you learn to fly in colorado You'll be exposed to mountain flying much sooner uh, than a pilot who's been trained in New York, like myself. Or if you get your training somewhere in, you know, countryside Alabama, chances are uh, you've never flown during your trying training. You'll never fly even near 
uh, a class Bravo or a class Charlie for that matter. You know, so uh, th- there are a lot of things that depending on where you are and where you get your training, you will get exposed to. And the reason why I'm saying this is because after getting my licenses and my rating, my instrument rating uh, and even going for a commercial, I, I started to understand that. Uh, it's not so much about the training and knocking, knocking out lessons and, 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, checking boxes in the syllabus and getting to your, your, uh, check right. What we really teach you how to fly and to be a good pilot is exposing yourself to different situations and different scenarios. And you can only do that if you go flying, flying by yourself. Flying with, you know, a, a person that's different from your CFI, uh, either a safety pilot, a friend, family or whatever. I think going through different situations where you can actually put uh, your training and the things you learn into practice, practice that's what's going to make you a good pilot. And I'll give you an example. Uh, flying around New York. Uh, once you get used to the airspace, the 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 geography and and the places, it's 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 kind of easy, you know. You, you you plan for a day where it's VFR. You want to do a cross country. You got to go somewhere, get breakfast and whatnot. Chances are you you're gonna take off and land with the same kind of weather. You 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 can expect the same weather tendency or trends. Uh, flying in and out. You know where the wind's coming from. You know what kind of weather is developing. You know what happens, you know, in the summer versus winter or whatnot. But uh, recently I went to Florida and that was my first real cross country where, you know, I was like, I had two legs of like over three hours uh, just to get there. And uh, when flying long distances like that, that's when you start getting exposed, exposed to different things like Different weathers, different weather along your route, doing like real fuel calculations, weight and balance and, and, you know, having to put everything into account. I mean, I always do in every flight, but um, when you have to consider how things will change along a route, your route, along your flight, that's where that's where you start, you know, getting experienced. And uh, I uh, like I said, you know, it's not often that uh, pilots doing training get really get exposed to these different kind, kinds of scenarios doing their training. You know, you're usually flying the same approaches at the same airports, uh, flying the same airports, air, airspaces, and even talking to the same controller. So there's this kind of uh, uh, comfort that you gain from knowing where you are and, and that uh, uh, at some point you got to break out and start, you know, t- taking, you know, a few leaps to, to get yourself into different situations that will definitely be learning experiences as well. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just like life, right? Like you got to find a way to continually push yourself without crossing the line there. It's like borderline dangerous. And exactly. aviation, I mean, when you get to the dangerous line, like bad things can happen, obviously life as well. But like eh, with crosswinds, with uh, class Bravos, class Charlies, class Deltas, whatever, you can kind of do it incrementally. You know, you don't have to go out when it's gusting 30 to be like, hey, let's see if I can do this. It's like, why don't, well, why don't you go out when it's gusting 10, then 15, then 20 and kind of work your way up? <laughs> But it's really hard when you get in a comfort zone or even worse when you go up one time when it might be outside of your realm of of ability and you scare yourself. And then once you scare yourself, you're kind of just like, well, I'm not doing that again. But it's like, maybe you should go do that again. But make sure you bring an instructor, bring someone there that can, can help you get through it and coach you through it so you can feel confident to do that. 
because I mean, it's important to have those skills. It's important to push yourself. It, it's cra- it's really crazy. Like I'm sure you learned a lot in that long cross country to Florida because it's a lot different planning for a a, a three day cross country or 800 mile cross country. And it is like a, a what like a 60 mile cross country. You know, it's a it's a big difference. Winds are a big difference, and they change weather fronts. Like you, it, it's a lot different. So it's you got to push yourself. And I, I'm really glad you said that because I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And very importantly, uh, one very, very important thing you said is uh, don't ever cross your line of, uh, uh, you know, where it becomes dangerous or where you don't feel uh, uh, comfortable enough to to get there. So it's not like, hey, I'm going to fly, you know, into like, you know, a thunderstorm or I'm going to, you know, try to land with a 40, 40 knot crosswind. Like uh, uh, you, you got to know where your limits and your plane's limits are. But uh, it's good to, like you say, like I said, like take baby steps towards a challenge because that's where you, when you start learning and uh, being more comfortable in different situations that later on, um, we'll ju- you just add to your, you know, pilot, pilot bag of tricks and uh, that you're going to feel comfortable with. A lot of people say, and I say this all the time, that it's important to know your limits. But I mean, that's like to a new pilot, it's like, okay, cool. How do I know my limits? For you, what is your system or how did you figure out a way to kind of know your limits? Was it from pre- previous experience where you're like, all right, well, that sucked. I'm never doing that again. Or is it from horror stories from other people or is it a mix of both? I think it's a mix of both. Uh, you know, back, back when I was having my training, my limits were really my CFI's limits, uh, the, the, the limits that he imposed to me, which I, I'm glad he did because, you know, uh, you, you don't really... You, you never really landed with a 25 knot crosswind, for instance. And uh, I remember when going solo, he was like, no, you know what? If it's more than 13 knots of crosswind, uh, you're not going to fly. Um, and I was like, OK, like, I mean, I, I trust you. And uh, so so you basically go uh, by your your CFI's guidance. Once you are out there on your own, uh, I think you start there. And uh, sometimes you find yourself in a situation that breaks those limits because you could t- very well take off and the TEFs might say or the, the meters will say, hey, the winds are going to be 10 knots or less. And when you come back to your airport, uh, it's go- it's like 15 gusting 25. And I mean, you got to land, you know, so uh, that you, you, you find yourself to, in, in, in situations where you need to apply your training, do what you th- what you know is right. And, and if you don't feel comfortable, go around, get yourself uh, out of that situation. There's always a nearby airport. There's always another place you can go if you don't feel comfortable in landing or doing something where you were supposed to go. And uh, and that's how you slowly you start gathering, you know, experience. For me, I I think that uh, I did put myself or found found myself in situations where I was like, uh, this is not like like I planned, but you know. Uh, I'll just suck it up and do it. And there, there will be a learning experience from this. And I'm always, you know, watching videos, seeing other pilots, you know, share their stories, their experiences. And it sticks with me, with you. You know, sometimes you were up there and you see yourself or find yourself in a situation. You're like, oh, I remember this from a video or that guy did something like this. Or that guy told me that said that, uh, you know, you got to do this, this and that. And then you you just put it all together. And uh, uh, just use every information you, you have to make a good decision, what what the best decision might might, might be for you. And from that, you kind of get, uh, you know, uh, uh, definitely a, a lesson, uh, a lesson learned that, will, that will, you know, will make you a better pilot later yeah, on. Absolutely. 
Well said. It's one of those things, you know, people always, I I do this all the time. I always say, know your minimums. And I always say you need a mentor, but it's like really hard to someone's coming up. It's like, well, how do I get a mentor and how do I know my minimums? <laughs> so exactly. It's exactly. like when you say that over and over and over again, people can just get frustrated. So it's, it's refreshing to hear someone say how they get their own minimums. Yeah. And, and, and listen, I think that, and I'm not at all embarrassed to say this, I'm still afraid of a lot of things. And that, that's really my, uh, those are really my minimums as of now. You know, I'll say like, for instance, flying IMC and shooting approaches in IMC. I, I never shot an approach down to minimums in actual IMC. And, and to me, I won't be doing that anytime soon because what I want to do, whether I'm with a CFI or a safety pilot is choose one of those uh, as my friend says, uh, baby IMC days where you have like a 2000 foot ceiling perhaps and, you know, you have like, you know, steady precipitation or something like that. And, you know, choose a, choose a, a person that you that that is proficient and uh, someone someone you trust. Go up, you know, just fly there. Experience IMC, experience what it feels to be there, having having a person right next to you that, you know, is able to, you know, keep you calm and talk, talk through things if you need. And then, you know, start shooting approaches now. OK, so you're comfortable with like a 2000 foot ceiling. Let's go to a 1500 foot ceiling. Then let's go to a thousand foot ceiling. And eventually I'll find myself in a situation where I will have to fly an approach to minimums. But on that day, I want to be sure that I'm comfortable enough with what I'm doing, what I need to do and just, you know, go with the flow, whether uh, rather than doing that when I know I'm not proficient, I know I'm not. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not proficient to my own standards. So being afraid of things for a pilot, I think it's a big, big uh, 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 means of uh, defense uh, from getting yourself in, in, you know, in tough situations. I mean, I know uh, like I've had I have canceled multiple flights or multiple plans, whether, you know, flying friends, flying my wife, flying myself to places because something fell off. And or something didn't really make me 100 percent comfortable, whether it was the weather, whether it was something with my plane, you know, the, like the one, two, three roll. And I've got to say other pilots, other pilots would be like, you know what, just send it, just go. You know, you have an instrument rating or this is nothing or whatever. But to me, I was like, I, I don't I don't have any issues with saying, no, I'm afraid of this. You know, I never flew into that. I'm not going to I'm not going to do that by myself because I like I, I want to feel confident and comfortable uh, with these situations, with every flight. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm humble enough to say it takes time. It takes experience. It takes doing that over and over uh, in a way that is, you know, safe for you to actually be get to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm comfortable with anything. I'll just go. I know what to do. I'm prepared for everything, for anything that, that could happen. So it takes really takes time to get there. And the only way you can do that is flying, flying often, and, you know, experiencing what's up to be there in different situations. That's where, you know, you start putting your the puzzle together and uh, you start to understand uh, how, how things really work, what could happen, you know, with weather and just be prepared for everything. So um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very um, uh, afraid, you know, still of a lot of things. And that has been my my defense line for a lot of like bad situations that I didn't get into because I decided to be on the ground. Yeah, I mean, you learn one of the most important things pretty early on. It takes a long time for people to learn how to say no. Uh, I don't know if it's easier when you're kind of just flying for fun and you're not flying for like a company or so, uh, like flying, like coming up, like doing aero survey and freight. 
uh, when you have the pressure of a business behind you and like uh, paychecks and kind of a whole company, it's harder to say no. And it might be easier in your own time, but there's still a lot of social pressures that come on in that. And there's a lot of social pressure to like, make sure maybe you're taking up a date and you want to make sure you're, you're impressing them, but it's like, oh, it's not the right day to go fly. Uh, it's also important to remember that a lot of times you're the first exposure for someone to have deviation. So you want to make sure it's the most comfortable and smooth day. It's like, should you go up when it's really choppy? Should you go up when it's really windy? It's like, yeah, it might suck to cancel it, but if you want them or there's any perceived uh, kind of notion that they might get in, into aviation, you want to show them the best of aviation. You want to show them on a smooth day, you know, earlier in the morning and kind of take them up and show them around New York, you know, and do some fun. But uh, you're, you I feel like people forget in small general aviation, can't talk in small general aviation planes. A lot of times you're going to be that first exposure to someone and they're so excited and, and they have no idea. They just trust you blindly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause for them, when you see a plane flying like in the sky, it's always smooth. They are flying somewhere and it's all, you know, roses. But uh, the truth is more often than not, uh, general aviation, they're flying a small uh, plane that's like, you know, single engine plane. It gets bumpy. You like any changes in in in, in, in winds and weather. Like you're gonna feel it because you know it's really light. So it's it's uh, it's not that comfortable, you know. Uh, and some people can't really abstract the uncomfortable part, which is you know going through bumpy weather and whatnot, to just focus on the feels and the experience. And I can understand that. So you're right. Sometimes you know you want to pick the perfect day, the perfect time. Uh, to take someone and fly in, it's your responsibility to, you know, make them feel comfortable, understand what's involved in, you know, being inside uh, a general aviation plane. No matter, no matter what model, uh, they're all subject to the same thing as, as does the, the the big the, the big airliners. And uh, you you just gotta, you know, uh, be mindful that uh, the moment you have a passenger, you are responsible for their lives. And uh, for their comfort and for the experience that they, they're having. And uh, it's it's uh, it, you got to be, you know, very, very responsible. And I, I'm a guy who always say no before saying yes, because uh, if it's not a perfect day or at least a day where I'm like, OK, like this is this is not going to be too bad for them. Uh, and I'm sure the the the, the good part of uh, like the experience will will trump the, uh, uh, the, the, the possible bad ones. Then, okay, let's go flying. Otherwise, I'm not flying. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Uh, other than self-incriminating yourself to the FAA, what's the kind of scariest moment you've had in the in, in an airplane or kind of one time you're like, oh, man, I'm never doing that again? Um, I think the, the the most scary one was actually last week when uh, we were flying back from uh, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, to uh, our first stop uh, on the way back to New York. And uh, we were headed to New Bern in uh, South, uh, North Carolina. And, yeah, I've been there a lot. Yeah, and, and then uh, um, I think we were, you know, we had filed IFR, we were at 9,000 feet, and um, we were uh, really close to destination, probably 20 minutes out, and we started seeing some buildups around the uh, uh, around the, uh, the the region. And we I could see, you know, on my on my radar, on my fourth flight, uh, I could see uh, convective or other north of the airport, which was like far out of our route, but you could see some buildups starting to form along our route and, and close to our arrival. And uh, I remember uh, ATC uh, asked us to descend uh, because it was like conflicted traffic or something. And we had been in and out of clouds uh, uh, for the uh, for the, the, the previous, like, you know, 10 minutes or so without any incidents or anything like that. And uh, when, when they told us to descend, it was like straight into, you know, a cloud. And I was like, OK, it's going to be bumpy, but uh, it, probably not different than 
the stuff that we've been uh, experiencing before, like, you know, the past 10 minutes. Um, as soon as we entered that cloud, though, um, uh, there was a huge updraft inside that, I, um, you know, I couldn't really tell, at least in my, and, and knew uh, was right beside me. He, he has like uh, 24 years of experience and, and uh, you know, he, I mean, like on our boat judgments, we were like, no, this is fine. And as soon as we got into that, uh, um, that cloud, we got hit by this updraft that kicked us up by like a hundred feet or so, and then immediately dropped us. The, the second before the, the second after and uh there was like you know we were in like zero g for like a split second but uh, and i had cameras rolling actually and uh, you can see everything on the plane like lifting and it was you know violent you know he, uh neil hit his head on the ceiling uh i think my my uh, my seatbelt was a little tired so I, I didn't but you know things flew off and whatnot and it was a split second and uh, because we were in imc still I was like, you know, looking at my instruments and I saw the plane, uh, you know, we came off of it and the plane was off like uh, banking and diving, not diving. But, you know, we had like some 10 degrees nose down and banking and banking to the left, which was not the attitude that I was in when I entered the cloud. So I immediately, you know, pulled power back. I was, uh, uh, you know, like wings level and, you know, I was concentrating, flying the plane there. And, and, and soon after we got off the cloud, it was like smooth air again. But uh, that day I learned that one, you know, uh, some of the, these clouds, these buildups and you see like slow, even this, if they are small, like towering clouds usually mean strong lifting action. And uh, chances are uh, that's going to happen to you if, you if you go into one. So there was a big lesson learned there because, you know, even flying IFR, uh, and mind you, this was my one of my first real like IFR uh, filing IFR and actually flying long distance. So, uh, I could have said, you know, to tower or to approach like, Hey, uh, can I stay here at 9,000 for an extra, you know, 10 miles just to get, get over these, uh, clouds or as for a deviation or because we we're close to our destination, I could very well, you know, even cancel the IFR and, and proceed to VFR. But at the moment, like, uh, the, those cards, uh, weren't really up my sleeve. And, uh, because, Again, because of uh, I, I had never had to use them before, so they were not, not like you know like there. And I was like, this is okay. Let's let's go through a cloud. But you know, looking back now and, and looking at the future, if I ever I'm ever in the same situation, and uh, you know I get to to either descend or climb, and I'm seeing you know these one of those big clouds in front of me, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I'll ask for a deviation. I'm going to ask for for uh, uh, you know either a different altitude, or whatever it may be. I'll just make, make sure to, you know, tell ATC that I don't feel safe in doing what they're telling me to do and, and that I, I, I'm, I want another option. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, it, it just wasn't top of mind for me at the moment it happened where I was told to descend. And that's how I learned. Yeah, I mean, I, one, two things is one, I do that all the time. I tell ATC what I think we should do a lot of times. Maybe it pisses them off. I don't know, but it's like you have a rule. Like they're not the ones that are flying through those clouds. They're not the ones flying through storms, through turbulence, whatever it is. So, I mean, you do everything you can to make sure that you let them know that you are going to do what's best and safe for your aircraft and for the people on board. So don't ever feel bad about asking that in the future and always ask and, and kind of ask in a nice way. Don't just tell them right away because you need them to work with you too because they might be oversaturated with the work. And then two, uh, you learn from those experiences by going through those experiences. There's so many times when I was flying freight where I didn't really know too much about weather and similar situations, you're like, oh, that's not necessarily a buildup. It doesn't look like a friendly cloud um, per se. Like it looks like it's probably gonna be bumpy. And then you go in it and you're like, oh my gosh, you like start like (laughs) 
please be over, please be over, please be over, you know, like that kind of thing. And then you get out and you're like, holy smokes, I'm never doing that again. But you, you learn from those experiences. And I mean, that's one thing about aviation is you, you do unfortunately learn from moments that kind of scare the crap out of you. But you just have to to learn as much as you can and do as much as you can to make sure that doesn't happen again because those feelings suck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And, uh, um, you know, like I said, lesson learned. And um, when I decided to fly myself to Florida uh, for sun and fun, um, uh, I, honestly, the, the, the most important part of the trip to me would, would be the, the cross-country flights in and out, you know, there and back. Because I knew for sure that they would be learning experience. I knew beforehand that there were things I would regret. There were things, there are lessons that I would learn. There were, would be situations where that I would put myself or find myself in that uh, would, you know, not be perhaps not too comfortable. And I would learn from those experiences. And, you know, uh, like uh, I, I definitely, definitely did. You know, I learned a lot. I've been through, you know, moderate precipitation, which I, I had never uh, flown before. I, I, I learned how to use a lot of like four flight features that I didn't even know were there. And now I, I, I appreciate so much when it comes to weather and, uh, and, you know, going through that experience with that cloud and, you know, from now on, I will know exactly what, what kind of clouds I don't want to get into, even if it's, you know, it may seem a little sketchy. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And I'll learn to tell, uh, you know, ATC and work with them to find another solution. Now, could have could have learned this in a different way from, you know, uh, um, you know, talking to other pilots, watching videos. Yes, of course. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I think there's no better lesson than just like you said, going through something that uh, you come out of that situation. And you're like, OK, that taught me a lesson. It could be a good one, a bad one, but uh, there's no better way to have something stick to your brain, uh, like, like something like that. Yeah. Uh, no, you're definitely right. And it's definitely true. And it's unfortunately, like I said, it's unfortunate. You don't want to learn that way, but a lot of times that's the best way to learn because you just tell yourself never again, never, ever again. And it'll stick with you forever. And then it's up to you to tell other people your dumb story so they can learn from your mistakes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, And like you said in the beginning, I bet that every single pilot out there, whether they're on Instagram, they're sitting at a at a table at an airport having a chat, or you know the veterans you are, I'm pretty sure that all of them have lessons that they they've learned going through bad situations, going to oh never again situations, you know, and uh, yeah, so it, I think it's part of aviation life as a pilot. Uh, you'll be subject to these uh, no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And some are dumber than others, and some are more kind of. Uh, uh, brought on by the the pilot more so than maybe in the past or maybe they were in the past too but yeah i mean you just gotta learn and and let people know yeah exactly uh going to i got a couple more questions for you one was you mentioned that you wanted to be as proficient as possible so you uh came to the conclusion that it's best for you to buy versus rent right yes how difficult of a process was that for you to kind of accept because a lot of people think of aircraft acquisition and you have to have a ton of money uh, you want to buy a Bonanza, you want to buy a two, like you want to buy like this really, really like nice, well-equipped airplane. That's usually like a couple hundred thousand dollars. Was that kind of your mentality going into it? Or were you trying to find the best plane for you and, uh, kind of learn the market and, uh, make it work for you? I think one of the latter for sure. So I had come, I had just finished my instrument training and I had spent the, uh, the, the, the last couple of years flying, uh, PA-28s and Cessnas 172, which is probably the same for every pilot in training uh, across the U.S. 
and, and maybe the world. So uh, I, I was pretty uh, convinced that I wanted uh, one of those planes or something in the same category and, and uh, you know, fear just the overall features. Uh, I, I, I didn't have the money to buy a Bonanza, a, a, a 210 or, or, or anything like that. So it was like, you know what, I'm going to start small. I'm going to start with something that I can't afford, but that I also can, can quickly be become proficient, uh, uh, in. So I obviously started looking at warriors and, 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 uh, and Cessnas and, uh, but like one important thing that the whole buying process uh, uh, for me was completely new. I didn't really know where to start and the things that uh, are involved in buying an, air, an aircraft, you know, the title search and, and, you know, going to like the, uh, the, the, the FAA forms that you need to get to, for, to transfer ownership and whatnot. And the, so I, I, uh, I was looking, you know, looking at, at websites where planes are advertised and uh, I, I was I wasn't really getting anywhere. So it was like, I went to this Facebook page. I think it was like aircraft sales, sale, uh, like sales and, and buy or something. And uh, I, I made a post. I was like, you know what? I'm looking for a plane and this is my mission. This is what I want to do with my plane. I want to fly myself to like $100 burgers that are not too far away. I want to be able to carry my wife and bags and perhaps, you know, uh, one, an extra friend. Uh, and I want a plane that's economic, that uh, won't cost too much maintenance wise and, 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 and all of that. So, and then I had like, you know, 500 uh, comments as replies, to, like from people suggesting that I, uh, that I got up like a Cessna 150 to people suggesting to buy an air, uh, like an A380. <laughs> you know, something was all over yes, the place. an A380. That's exactly what you need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, I had a guy reach out to me privately and said, Hey, I have a friend in Long Island. Uh, he wants to, to, he has a grandma cheetah. He, he is thinking of selling his plane. He hasn't advertised yet, but, uh, I, I think he would appreciate you telling him that because, uh, you, you may help him make up his mind. So I called the guy, his name was Kevin, really, really nice guy, very experienced pilot. He flies, uh, a charter flights in the Caribbean and, uh, he had a plane based at Brookhaven. Uh, Long Island, and that, uh, I called him. Super, super nice guy. Uh, spoke to me, and and uh, you know CFI and whatnot. And uh, I, I I met him uh, that on the same like that's, that same week, and we 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 went to see the plane. And it was you know like low time airframe, low time engine. Uh, it had been overhauled like years ago, like uh, I don't know, it had like five hundred hours on the engine, something like that. So and it felt like a nice package. It was like rated IFR. It had the you know a Garmin 430. So it had the package that felt right to me at the time. It was a plane that was very similar to the ones I had been flying. Even though you gotta you know uh, uh, learn how to fly, every plane is obviously different. And uh, but it felt like a nice a nice thing. And one of the the, the the key decisions factors for me was that the plane was right here, you know, like 60 miles from my apartment. And uh, because sometimes you're looking at a plane and you find the perfect one, but it's like you're, you're it's in Alaska. Plane is, <laughs> yeah, it's in Alaska or Arizona. <laughs> and by the time you call the guy to and actually try to get there, somebody else beat you to it. And, uh, you know, so I was like, oh, man, I don't want to get into a race or anything like that. Uh, so it, it really played a role to me. And I couldn't be happier because the plane is in absolutely was in absolutely great shape when, you know, when I was uh, making that decision. The uh, mechanic that took care of the plane for the previous three years was located at the airport, knew everything about the plane. I personally called him and 
he told me, hey, there's nothing sketchy about the, the, this plane. There's no damage history. There are no missing logs or anything like that. So, you know, just be sure you're not getting yourself into into trouble if you do this. And that was enough for me to, you know, make my decision. And um, and just going back to the reason why I I, I, I really decided to buy the, the plane. It, it was just, a, you know, a commitment that I had made to myself, to my life. I want to be proficient. I want to be a good pilot. And for me personally, the way to do it is to fly often and uh, and, and you know just go go through the all the, all, all the experiences that uh, uh, we were we were discussing before. Uh, I, I I certainly wouldn't have gone through those experiences, those important learning experiences, or gather the experience that I have today if I was still renting and and you know trying to get in schedules. Um, and, you know, just, you know, having less time or less opportunities to fly, which I know is a reality for a lot of pilots out there. It was definitely was for me. But, you know, just having the commitment that I have with aviation and thinking I want to do this for the rest of my life as the, the, the thing that I'm not doing. I, I'm doing when I'm not working. Uh, having a plane makes sense to me. And that plane at that time seemed like a great opportunity. And I embraced it uh, because I didn't want to wait, you know, any longer. So was the buying an airplane process easier than you thought it was going to be, harder than you thought it was going to be, or is there anything you wish you knew before you got into it? Once once I found the plane, it was it was not hard at all. You know, there are a lot of like processes you you got to go through with the FAA, like I said, with you know uh, having the plane transferred to your name and getting the right documents. But it's not it's far less complex complex than, for instance, filling your um, your uh, the aircraft for <laughs> for your check, right? You know, um, uh, I don't even uh, is, is it aircraft? Is that what it's called? A aircra, yeah, aircra. That's the name. So yeah, uh, that is more complicated than actually filling the paperwork. You know, there's a lot of stuff you need to look into, like you know, insurance, plane owners' insurance, and you probably want to do some research to find the best one uh, for you. But, uh, you know, like people go go through the same process when buying a car, buying a house uh, or, or making, you know, big decisions in life. So it's, it's definitely not different than that. I think the the the, the, the I wouldn't say difficult, but the, 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 the part that takes the longest is actually finding the plane that you want. And sometimes it takes traveling somewhere to see the plane for, for yourself, you know, with your uh, a mechanic that you trust to, to, to make a, a pre-buy inspection um, or, you know, finding uh, a seller that, that you know, like uh, that, that's a nice fit for you. You know, a person that, you know, if you feel good about getting their plane, knowing that they took care of it and the history of the plane and whatnot. So you really want to spend time uh, doing that research. Because once you have your plane, it's a commitment and everything that happens uh, or the plane needs from them on maintenance wise, uh, equipment wise, upgrade wise, it's really on you. So you want to really make sure that you're getting yourself into a good, uh, a good deal and a good plane rather than just, you know, getting the first plane that that appears in front of you. It's like, yeah, I I want that. You know, I just saw that plane flying, but you really know, you know, uh, what's going on with the engine, with the instruments. And and so you you just want to be sure that. You're, you're getting yourself into a good, a good plane and good deal. Once you've, you've made the decision, then it's, it, it's not a, a difficult process at all. You've had a successful career with advertising, obviously, put you in a position to be able to, to kind of fly, you know, to, to pursue this passion that you've always had. Um, what would you say you have learned from aviation? I'm sure you've, you've obviously, you're, you're, 
you're not, I mean, you're not old, you're not young is what I'm trying to say. You've had a career and you're still in your career. You have uh, learned a lot in advertising, but what has aviation taught you that maybe you didn't know before? Maybe uh, has been able to improve your, your business world or your personal life that you didn't have before? Um, let's just say that uh, I first I learned, uh, now I know much more about weather and I can tell my wife whether she needs to bring a coat or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, in all seriousness, um, I think that uh, it's not, I, I don't think this is new, but it, it definitely uh, made appreciate, uh, aviation made me appreciate discipline much, much more than I had ever done. You know, uh, I think that uh, what what aviation teaches you as far as uh, procedures and, and how you you got to be on top of, have, like having all the knowledge and, and having your own discipline to keep yourself and your passengers safe. I think that's easily, easily translates to your life as well. And, uh, you know, whether you're driving, whether you are, whatever you're doing in life, establishing yourself, uh, establish, uh, establishing yourself with the same kind of like procedures, whether you're, you know, you're editing a video, whether, whether you're planning a, a, you know, a car trip, whether you are uh, assessing the risk of doing something here and there. I think uh, uh, you start to see that there's a lot of things in aviation that can be applied in life. And uh, whether when, when it comes to advertising, I think it's less about, you know, the creativity that involves, but more of the, you know, managing teams and, and, and having managing clients and all of that, having that sort of discipline and approach to, to business as you, as, uh, uh, as you do to flying an airplane, uh, somehow makes you better and more confident, confident in the outcomes. And, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I was glad that I could, uh, really apply that to other areas in life because it, it makes you, it, it makes you better across the board. Yeah, Absolutely. It definitely is good for discipline. If you weren't disciplined before and aviation doesn't make you disciplined, then uh, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, cool. Those are pretty much all the questions I have for you. I do have one section called the rapid fire section where I'm just going to ask you a bunch of uh, aviation themed questions and you answer as quickly and kind of as short and to the point as possible. Are you ready for them? Yes. Oh, man. Uh, okay. All right. It. Let's do it. It's not too hard. Uh, what's your favorite airplane ever made? It could be anything. So it could be a big airliner. It could be a corporate jet. It could be your Grumman you fly. The Concorde. What about like a corporate plane? What's your favorite corporate plane? Uh, the uh, Gulfstream. What about a small piston plane? Uh, the uh, F4 Corsair. Yeah. What's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen in your life? Oh, uh, the, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name. It's a four, it's a, a four-engine turboprop. Uh, uh, um, I, I think a Chiv- Cavalier or Carver. I think Carver. Carver. No, it, it's a. I think it's Carver. Uh, it's. Uh, it, it looks like a seven forty-seven. It has the bump oh, uh, really? in the front. All right, I'll have to look but, it up. Yeah, but, but it's a <laughs> propeller. Yeah, I think it was made by uh, either a French company or, or a British company. I don't know. But uh, yeah, if you pull up the Carver, it's it's like the ugliest plane for me. But it still <laughs> flies. It's a plane, so it's yeah, not it's still cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, uh, well, I, just, uh, I wish I knew how, how much, uh, discipline it takes because, um, I would probably have better prepared myself for, for training. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Uh, being able to see the sunset from a perspective that few people can. Yeah, that's pretty cool. 
if you could meet one person, let's say Osh 21 is happening and you have the opportunity to meet everyone you've ever wanted to meet. Uh, even the, the craziest thing happens where you, they could be living or they could be dead. Uh, who's one person in the industry that you would like to meet most? Wow. Um, I want to say um, perhaps uh, uh, this is not a specific specific person, but I'll say just, uh, you know, uh, uh, generally, I would love to meet um, an uh, Air Force veteran that's, that has been through all kinds of things you can possibly imagine, is still alive and able to talk to you and, and, uh, and, and teach you the experience that he or she have been through so I could learn from them. Yeah. I like that. I, I mean, this, I've met them before, but I wish I had the opportunity to talk to my grandpa about his World War II flying before he died. He died when I was younger, but I think it'd just be so cool to hear those stories kind of firsthand. And even if he embellished them just a little bit, <laughs> but it would be really cool to, to hear those stories and have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. What's the hardest approach you've ever flown? Um, there's, wow. Uh, let me, uh, I think, uh, um, there's a VOR approach uh, in Bridgeport, I think, that uh, for some reason during my training, I could not fly the, the way it was supposed to be flown for like three or four times. It took me five attempts to actually fly it in the simulator and then in the plane. So uh, it, it's not a particularly hard approach, but for some reason, I could not nail that thing. And, and, and it stuck with me as, as probably the hardest <laughs> I've flown. <laughs> There's always that one approach that gets someone, you know? Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite approach you've ever flown? Um, I think, uh, any GPS approach I found to, to be really fun because, uh, it, it, it's usually around, at least around New York, they're really predictable. So I want to say the uh, GPS 33 into Brookhaven, my home airport. Well, favorite airport to land at? Um, good speed, good speed, uh, uh, Connecticut. Uh, it was, it was one of the shortest, uh, uh, runways I've ever landed. I think it's like 200, uh, 2000 foot, uh, along. Probably not even a challenge for most of you listening, but uh, to me, it was a particular challenge. It was the, the one of the shortest, and uh, um, I, I totally nailed that landing the first time I tried, and then uh, well, say it, it quickly became my favorite. That's awesome. Keep doing it. <laughs> That's on. What's your least favorite airport you've ever landed at? Um, I want to say that um, I, I wouldn't call it my least favorite, but uh, uh, Farmingdale, the 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 the, uh, the airport that I got my training, gets really 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 busy on 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 days where the weather is good because there are a lot of like flight school, a lot of like student pilots flying around, which is a good thing because it's a lot of people like you know learning how to fly. But uh, it gets really busy, and you get you know jets, corporate jets flying in along with. Uh, um, uh, along with, uh, uh, you know, student pilots trying to land their like 152s and, 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 and Cherokees. And uh, I really appreciate, you know, the, the tower there and the guys at the tower because they do an awesome job. But as a pilot, that means that you're, uh, that you're often, you know, like uh, put on a long downwind and you have to join a line and you're sent places that you have to hold and stuff like that. So getting in and out of Farmingdale for some reason, uh, if you're not flying IFR, it's, it's really busy and it takes a lot of time. And uh, for perhaps for that reason, it's just a place that, you know, if I can avoid flying there, I will because I just don't want to spend too much time, you know, just holding uh, for, before landing or sitting on the ground in a seven or eight aircraft line to take off. Yeah, it's crazy. Farmingdale can't get kind of busy. I was just going to say, then you have us corporate people coming in and messing it up for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, let's say let's say you're going on a long cross country. Uh, you're flying back to Florida. You're planning to stop for food and for fuel. 
Uh, what's your go-to? I already can tell you right now that you messed up and you missed out on a prime opportunity to get the best fly-in barbecue airport, but I'll let you answer this first before I tell you that. All right. So obviously my experience uh, comes down to one, <laughs> one airport that I stopped. So uh, I will say that for now, I would probably have to say that that's my favorite. Um, and uh, Newburn had, uh, I, I got a crew car and went to this barbecue place. That was really cool. That was really nice. But now I'm curious to like what your stop would be because I'll definitely stop there the next time. Yeah. So it's in North Carolina. Its identifier is BQ1, stands for barbecue one. And it is just outside Fayetteville. And it is a fly-in uh, runway with a uh, barbecue place that has a, a big patio that overlooks the runway. A lot of people hang out. A ton of people go from North Carolina all over, kind of fly in and get some barbecue. Uh, bring cash. It's called the Pick and Pig. It is some of the best barbecue and one of the coolest experiences you'll ever have. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I already took note and I'll definitely... Definitely, definitely considering my next uh, next time I'm around the area. And then probably my second favorite barbecue place is in Georgia. It's called St. Simon Island, and it's Southern Seoul. That's a uh, uh, the airport's KSSI. That's another oh. solid one. Uh, like on, on on my flight to Jacksonville, uh, I we overflew uh, Sierra Sierra India. Uh, I Neil told me about it, and I had other pilots tell me about Simon Island. And uh, yeah, apparently it's a, cool place. It's, a, it's a big place for uh, for flying. So I'll definitely. Definitely check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Check those two out. Uh, but BQ1 is by far better. I don't care who gets mad at me. Fight me in my comments or DMs, but BQ1, Pick and Pig, is superior. And I'm sorry that you have bad barbecue taste. <laughs> <laughs> and let me ask you this. You know that you know having a good, good barbecue is always a great thing. But let's say you are uh, that's your stop and your next leg is going to be like a three-hour leg. Uh, perhaps bumpy, you know, I'll, I'll ask you this. Do you still recommend getting yourself a barbecue before a flight like that? Or should I, should I, uh, wait it out and, and try the next morning? Ooh, I don't know, man. I mean, think, I feel like that's one of those things you learn from your own personal experiences. So you do it once and then <laughs> if it works out, then you do it again. And if it doesn't work out, then you don't do it anymore. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There it's worth go. the risk. That's all I'll say. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, would you rather fly IFR or VFR? Um, VFR. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the cities? Uh, beaches. Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. What's your favorite airline livery? Um, the new American Airlines. Well, not new, but the current yeah. American Airlines livery. Would you rather fly the longest possible flight you can fly in your Grumman or as many short trips as you can make in one day? Uh, probably the longest flight. What is the hardest check ride you ever took? Uh, the instrument check ride. Biggest regret you've had in your career so far? Uh, you mean in aviation or in general? Uh, let's do in general. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say uh, probably waiting 35 years to go after my dream of becoming a pilot. What's the biggest win of your career so far? Um, the biggest win was uh, when I got an award for uh, a, a, a work that I did back in Brazil uh, that uh, got you know, got notorious worldwide and allowed me, th that was, that was the thing that allowed me to come to the U S in the first place place and have the, have the life aviation life that I'm having now. So, uh, I gotta say that's, that, that was definitely my biggest win. If you never moved to the United States, do you think you'd be a pilot right now? No. That's crazy to think about, isn't it? It is. It is, man. It is. And uh, I got to tell you, perhaps, you know, the, 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 the things that would be priority for me in the life that I would have been living there wouldn't even allow me to think about, you know, aviation. So, um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for 
you know, being here and having this opportunity. With that being said, do you want to go fly yourself around Brazil? Is that like a goal of yours one day? Yes. Yes, absolutely. That'd be cool. You know, have, having the opportunity to do what I do now in the places where I lived, grew up in, that would be uh, very, very uh, like amazing, amazing for sure. Well, if you need someone to tag along, you know, once kind of uh, it, it's safe to go places, you know, I'll, I'll come tag along. I'll come down and uh, and fly around with you. If you need someone. We need. I would, we I have would no takers. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that, and I'm pretty sure you you would love it too. And Brazil yeah. is just amazing, amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, my sister was actually robbed in Rio de Janeiro so at gunpoint oh, in yes. a taxi cab. So I mean. Uh, I don't problem, think she'd yeah. want me to go, but yeah, <laughs> I'd go with you. I feel like going with someone that knows what they're doing, it, it makes it a lot easier. And, and you know what? Just, uh, you know, when you're at 3,000, 5,000 feet high, uh, you can't really get robbed. So yeah, unless you rob me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm just SOL, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I got a couple more. Would you rather fly as a passenger on a CRJ or an ERJ? ERJ. Piper, if you had to start this all over again and you could do your training again, would you do it in a Piper, a Cessna? Uh, a diamond, or let's even throw in your Grumman. Uh, I would probably do in a Cessna. If you were going to be uh, go after this as a um, as a full blown career and go to the airlines, would you rather do sixty one training or part one forty one? Uh, I would probably do uh, sixty one for the flexibility. Uh, part one forty one makes you stick to a, a very a, a very precise plan, which might be good if you're in Florida and weather isn't always you know an issue. But uh, if you got to stick to a plan and you can't fly, you, you can't get through the, the next lesson because you got to get through the, that one instead. I think part 61 allows you to do it more flexible, flexibly and, uh, and that ultimately can uh, help you get there sooner. All right. Last one is what's your favorite airline? You can fly business class anywhere in the world or maybe even just back to Brazil. Who are you flying? Uh, I never flew, but uh, I'll probably say it's Emirates because I've heard their, their first class and business class are uh, an experience uh, in its own and not at all what you would expect from an airline or, or the, the airlines that we have in the U.S. or Brazil for that matter. So uh, that would probably be my my uh, my choice. Yeah, I think everyone wants to fly uh, first class on Emirates or Etihad or whoever Casey Neistat flew on and made that video with like a bedroom and like a full-blown <laughs> room essentially. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, can, I can't even imagine what, what that experience must be like. I, or I, what I, it costs. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Worry about that later, right? Do it for yeah. the content, man. Do it for the content. It's a tax write-off. <laughs> do it for the gram. Exactly. Yeah, do it for the gram. What's the worst that could happen? Well, Bruno, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, I do have one more question for you. Someone's listening to this right now. Um, someone is really inspired by your story. Maybe it's someone from Brazil that wants to be a pilot. What's kind of three tips? What's kind of uh, three things that you've learned throughout this process uh, and advice that you'd give them right now? Uh, I was going to, uh, I would say that one, be prepared for a lot of studying and to committing yourself to make uh, your CFI's uh, life easier. Because when you do that, when you come prepared for every lesson, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a better way to spend your money and your time, and you're going to learn much quicker. So that's, that's definitely number one. The second one is uh, don't give up. You know, it's, uh, it's going to be hard. It, it, it is. Uh, it, it's like you're learning to do a thing that not only is complicated, in its own, which is flying a plane, but it also takes understanding what you're doing uh, and how you're impacting others, whether are air traffic control controllers or the pilots or not. So there's a lot of responsibility involved. Don't let that overcome the passion that you have for it and, and, and keep pursuing. And the last thing is if you dream of being a pilot, 
don't wait. Don't wait. Don't think that, you know, you got to be at a certain age or you got to achieve something specific in life before you, you want to start doing this. If it's your dream, uh, it, you own it to yourself to start pursuing this. Where, it doesn't matter where you live, uh, where you are right now or uh, the money you have. Like if it's your passion, uh, go after it and, and life will work, work itself out. Absolutely. I love it, man. Last thing, go ahead and plug yourself. Where can they find you? Where can they watch your videos, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it is, go ahead and plug yourself. Uh, yeah. So I have an Instagram page. It's fly with Bruno. So fly un, uh, underline with underline Bruno. Um, uh, and that's where, you know, I share daily, uh, you know, content in aviation. It's my passion. It's what I do every like first thing in the morning, I'm having my coffee and posting to Instagram. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel, which is fly with Bruno, no underlines, just fly with uh, YouTube slash uh, fly with Bruno, uh, in which I share, uh, the experiences and the, uh, adventures that I'm having uh, with my plane around the country. And I try to tell these stories from, uh, the pilot's perspective of learning, going through experiences and what they mean for me. So, uh, there are a lot of amazing, amazing channels out there that I'm a big fan of. And, uh, you know, but the, these channels are made by, you know, whether CFIs or much more experienced pilots than I, than I have. And my, 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 my channel and my content really comes from my pilot who's still learning a lot of things who's afraid of a lot of things and, and, and literally like, you know, learning things on the fly. And, uh, I feel that, I feel that, that could, could be a very, uh, a cool way to, you know, have other student pilots and, and people who are just starting in aviation, see where aviation can take you, what the doors that it opens, but also the important learnings that you get along the way. So these are the two main channels, my Instagram page and my YouTube channel. I love it. Well, Bruno, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. It's going to be a quick turnaround. It's coming out on Tuesday. So you caught me at the right wow. time. So uh, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much for this. And it was a pleasure talking with you. And hopefully one day we'll meet up and we can hang out. Absolutely, man. Justin, thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of your content, of your pod, podcast. And uh, Thanks, I always I appreciate been so really, really honored to be here. It was a pleasure talking to you. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll meet uh, in the sky and hopefully... I'm not getting in your way and doing something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, maybe you will, or maybe I will. It'll be good content for your YouTube channel, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Justin, cut me off. Well, Bruno, right. thanks, man. I appreciate it so much. I hope you have a great day. You too, man. Have a great day. Bye. All right. See ya. See ya. And that is a wrap on episode 167 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. Like I said before, May 4th, be on the lookout. Some big news is coming. You have to follow us at Pilot the Pilot to find out. You're not going to want to miss out. You're going to have to be quick to make sure you can secure it. That's all I'm going to say. But I hope everyone's having a great day. I hope you're staying safe. And as always, happy flying.